0: This is Wisconsin Profits, the top Wisconsin-based business podcast. We'll hear from business leaders, entrepreneurs, and the influential people in the Badger State. Here's your host, Alex Byrne.
1: Okay, everyone, we have Michael today out of Milwaukee. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good. How are you, Alex? I'm doing great. Could you just give us a little background about yourself?
0: Sure. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm a filmmaker first and foremost, um, uh, and I've been uh, co lead and co founder of Story First Media uh, since 2009 when it founded, which is a a brand storytelling agency, commercial production agency uh, with a storytelling focus uh, as opposed to just any sort of video. We always try and put something from uh, 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 you know use storytelling as as our as our prism to to build out those projects.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your first experience with film and kind of when you realized that this is something you wanted to do?
0: Sure. Yeah. I, I had, um, I was in sixth grade, um, when I remember the earliest school project that was kind of a video deliverable, so to speak. Um, uh, we had to do a video, uh, about, a novel that we had been reading in class and then there were none uh, the mystery novel and so um a friend of mine andy and i basically played all the roles it, it's uh, it, it's kind of a uh, a knives out sort of story if anyone hasn't read it and so like my friend and i only two of us just played all the roles in this video and we shot it and uh, delivered it in class and it got a good reception so that was fun just from a purely the making of it was fun. Um, uh, but then a few years later in my sophomore year in high school, uh, I was afforded the opportunity to deliver some uh, uh, English project. I don't even remember what the project was but it was an English project where I asked if I could do a video as opposed to like the, the prod, it was like a, a physical hand in or something if you didn't do it this way. And I was granted the opportunity. And so I uh, did a short film as my version of the project. Um, and it got such a good response from the teacher um, that he showed it to all of his other classes um, as a good example. Uh, and then it even broke out of the English class. And like my world history teacher was showing it to all. It wasn't even, my world history teacher had nothing to do with this, but suddenly he was showing it to all of his classes. And for the first time in my young life at the time, uh, like I said, sophomore in, in high school, um, I was being like complimented in the hallway for something I had done up until then. I was, you know, the, the kid that was like picked last in gym class and like, you know, wasn't, wasn't a huge athlete or anything like that. Didn't have anything that really made me stand out in a remarkable way at all. Um, but suddenly like, you know, the, the the cliche quarterback of the football team is like, you know, wanting to be in my next video. So it kind of gave me like something that people knew me as. Um, and from then on, all of my peers would, if, if there was a video project that was assigned in class, I was like the one everyone wanted to work with. So, um, from a purely ego standpoint, it kind of gave me an identity. It gave me something that people knew me for. And, and, and I was the video guy and and that's really important at that age, I think is to have something that, you know, sets you apart from everybody else in some way. Yeah.
1: So what, what was your biggest lesson you think from these first couple video projects?
0: Um, at that stage, um, uh, th- th- that it takes a long time. Um, my, I-, I was very, very late in delivering the second project that everyone loved so much, but I kept telling the teacher, we're working on it. It's not that we're not working on it. It's just that it's taking a long time. Um, so definitely learned that it, it, you know, about overpromising on time, uh, uh, which to this day is something you gotta fight against in the stuff I do now. Um, uh, but also just how, how insanely collaborative it is. I mean, like I, I was always a director on these projects, so I set the goal, but how you get to the goal, you can't try and control if you're the one in charge. It's, it's very much about the people you're working with and what are they good at and how do they approach getting at that goal? Um, so, you know, to, uh, thinking about how I would apply anything from those early experiences to what I do today, it's probably that in the sense that it's super important who you work with um, uh, because you can't dictate to them how they do their job. You can only dictate where we're all headed um, and then how they get there. Don't try and micromanage it because it'll, it'll ruin it for everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what, what's kind of the biggest misconception you had about making videos and different types of films?
0: Misconception. That's interesting to think about. Um, It's a really good question. I don't know, uh, I'm sure I, I mean, I knew nothing at that age. So I'm, I'm sure I had a ton of misconceptions. Um, uh, I hadn't really learned much of anything um, about about how you make films or anything like that outside of just watching things. Um, you know, a little bit, uh, maybe a misconception I had is one that, that I know my parents at the time shared and they've told me since was a misconception they had. And this is maybe just something that both parents and kids can kind of take lessons from is that I was watching movies all the time at that age. Um, and my parents had to kind of make the distinction or decision in their own minds. Is he just messing around? Is he just like wasting time? Is it just kind of, this is, this is, you know, he's, you know, is, is, is this actually because he's interested in filmmaking or is this just his way of, you know, pissing away the time basically. Um, uh, whereas if I had my nose in a book all the time that thought would never cross their mind because reading has kind of rightfully so an association of being something that is really healthy and is really, you know, you do it because you're smart and you're intellectually curious or whatever. Um, But they eventually realized that, yeah, the reason I was watching movies all the time is because I was actually absorbing this like a sponge. And I was really trying to, I was really, I was taking them apart in my brain. It was the, I was the kid that had, you know, the little gadget that I was breaking and then putting back together is just my gadget was the movies I was watching. So, um, so that was maybe a misconception is that I even had myself a little bit of self conscious feelings about, you know, I look like I'm so lazy, but I know what I'm doing.
1: (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about your college experience? Did you go to college for film and maybe just a little bit about your first uh, job in film?
0: Sure. Um, I did not go to a four-year university for, for this. I went to a specific film school in Los Angeles called the New York Film Academy in LA. Um, they have campuses, or at least at the time they had campuses all over. Um, and so, uh, so my, my experience, I I, I knew in high school that I was probably not going to do a four-year university because I was so, by the time I was looking at schools, junior year and senior year and all that, I was pretty darn certain that I was gonna be going into film production in some way. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know how I was gonna do it, but I knew that was where I was headed. And it's an industry that doesn't really ask you about your credentials in that way. It's not really what they lead with. Um, it's, and I've still to this day, I've been doing film production now for 15 years. I've never been asked by like someone who would be in a position to hire me for something. No one's ever asked me what my education is. Um, so it's, it's not really that industry, um, whereas other industries is super important where you go. So I, I just went to film school for, it was a one-year, um, class, one-year program where you learned all the tools of the trade. You learned how to load a 35 millimeter film magazine. You learned how to operate sound gear. You learned how to edit. You learned all the, the tools, no theory, no history, no any of that stuff. Um, And then after graduating from that, uh, I came back to Wisconsin, uh, planning on probably getting some entry-level jobs in video production houses in in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, which is where I went to high school. Um, And then, um, but I spent the time then teaching myself all the history and theory through reading all the books. And then, you know, so many filmmakers have written so eloquently about that stuff that you can kind of teach yourself it to some extent if you care enough about it. Um, And so, uh, and then I just... Kept trying to find ways to to get something off the ground. I wrote a ton of screenplays and I, you know, just practice, practice, practice things. Um, and I forget the second part of your question. What was that?
1: Like the, like your first entry job or just a little bit of experience yeah. about that.
0: Yeah. So my first entry job then was uh uh I was a uh what was my role? I was a production assistant. Well, I was first an intern at um, what used to be called Pro Video in Madison. Um, they are now Mirror 34, if anyone looks them up. Um, uh, but they were uh, a production house that did a lot of commercials, both local, regional, and a couple national as well. Um, uh, they did a lot of the, the more famous GoDaddy.com ads from back in like the early 2000s that got kind of famous around the Super Bowl and stuff. Um, so I got an internship there. Uh, when that internship ran out, I got a uh, my first actual job job, which was a production assistant at Andy Garcia Productions in Madison, which is no longer around. Um, uh, but that was great experience as well. I was just managing the media room, basically. So all the tapes and everything, the, the, li- the cataloging and library of all that stuff um, was pretty much my domain. Um, and I did that for about a year. And then I realized it, that... That particular path in the industry was not, was not, not only what it, it wasn't rewarding for me in the, in the doing of it, but I also didn't see any of the people around me doing the things I wanted to do either. So I didn't really see where I was going with that. Um, so I ended up quitting and going back to work uh, in, in movie theaters, which is where I worked in, uh, in high school. I started working in movie theaters when I was 14 um and I went back and I became a manager um and I was managing movie theaters all the way up to when I was probably 23 24 something like that basically up until we started story first I mean I I was I was on the first team that opened the Sundance cinemas in Madison um back in 2007 um I was one of the first managers there when we opened um so I, I I've I've managed at Regal Cinemas, Sundance Cinemas, Marcus Theaters. Did a lot of that sort of stuff, um, and I got a good glimpse of the exhibition side of the industry, which was really educational as well, because that's really where all the movies land. Um, so uh, so that was educational, and then um, and it was also great too because customer service I think is so educational uh, uh, for young people uh, to just understand how 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 vastly different kinds of people there are in the world (laughs) you know the the especially something like a movie theater you're 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 getting everybody in there that's not a that's not a small niche of people that's everybody and so you learn how to deal with everybody if you work in a job like that
1: yeah so can you tell us a little bit or could you give us a piece of advice maybe someone at 18 doesn't really know what they want to do with the rest of their life could you give it give them a piece of advice if you had any
0: sure for someone who doesn't know what they want to do um well i can say uh for you know at that age if you're if you're 18 or whatever don't don't sweat not knowing um i did know but but i i'm i'm a little bizarre with some of my predilections with that stuff um mo- most of my friends didn't really know what they wanted to do um and so so i can say that there's there's no shortage of things that's for sure i mean and and even at the age i am now i'm 34 you know People around me change careers all the time. Um, you know, I've known people who, you know, started off in in medicine that then got into real estate uh, and and now are real estate agents. I know people who are, you know, uh, uh, a whole bunch of things like that. So it it's it's um I wouldn't sweat it too much unless, um you are thinking that you might want to go into something that's highly 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 competitive like the film industry or like entertainment. Um, if you're if you're not that's not really something you can probably succeed at doing casually. Um, you're you're either you know there's too many people that are that basically eat, drink, sleep and breathe that thing. Um, uh, you could do it as a hobby. You could make videos as a hobby if you wanted to do something like that and you and you weren't wanting to completely obsess over it. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, depending on, on the on the industry you're talking about, it's kind of like athletics then at that point. you If you're not getting started with athletics when you're young, like starting when you're 20 doesn't make sense. So like um, it's kind of that sort of thing. Um, uh, but if you don't know, certainly don't sweat it because it's not, you know, there's no shortage of great jobs out there.
1: Right. So could you give some advice to someone who's trying to get into film and maybe getting that first job? Because I'm sure, as you know, film kid is very, very competitive. So what would be yeah. like, the one thing that you would tell an 18 year old who's trying to get in the film.
0: Um, I would say that there, you absolutely should uh, uh, not, you should be making things all the time. That's, that's a very cliche thing to say, but it's true. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to be making complete videos all the time, although that's great. Um, uh, uh, but you making things could be what I was doing, which was I was writing a ton of screenplays. And, and my, my orientation was always more towards the storytelling than the tools. Um, so getting in really good with writers and understand screenwriting, understanding dialogue, understanding everything that works in there takes many, many years um, to get good at. Uh, uh, I feel like I'm just now at this, at this point in my life getting to a place where I'm less judgy about my work. Um, uh, so it takes a long, long, long time of, of you know writing 10, 20 full length screenplays that you kind of are like, yeah, none of those are really good, but now the 21st one will be good, you know, so it, you got to keep making things, never stop making things, Um, and then just, you, if you're, if you're doing that, always gravitate towards what is really calling you as subject matter, or, or as a project, don't do things for other people, Um, if you start making things for other people, or to please other people, you'll quickly realize that, the motivation isn't infinite. Um, and if you can't find yourself in what you're doing, um, you'll, you'll, you'll lose, it's, it's such a long process and it's so hard, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't stay as, as positive or as passionate about it if you're not passionate about it. Yeah, that's a
1: great piece of advice. So mm-hmm. with your film journey, when did you know that you wanted to maybe do film for yourself as your own business?
0: As a business, um, I still don't make the majority, really, any money <laughs> from 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 doing this. Um, what I do, what what we make most of our money from now is commercials and and uh, corporate videos and things for clients, um, and that pays for our ability to develop and and produce independent films. Um, so it's it's uh, we've made two independent feature documentaries thus far, um, one of which we completed. At the end of 2019, and we are just now about to start talking to buyers about it. So again, long process. Um, It took us seven years to to complete it. So I mean, it's it. This is not get rich quick or 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 overnight success or anything like that. Um, So if if that if that if that doesn't sound appealing to somebody, know that that's the reality though. Um, uh, So so there's that element. But I am. I, I, you know, I didn't know whether I wanted to make client oriented corporate commercial stuff um, for a long time because it, 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 it didn't feel like what I should be spending my time on. It felt like I was young. I could I, I've, I, I hear all the great stories of all these young filmmakers who, who make their break. And it's just because they don't have a plan B and they just go hard. Um, and that's all true. And that does happen. But it's not the majority of people. Um, and it's not always, it's not even always because of the talent or anything like that. It's just about opportunity and, and, and being in the right place at the right time, knowing the right people. So at a certain point, um, you know, when the opportunity to do story first media came about in 2009, uh, it just made sense because I was at a place in my life where I was ready to stop making so little money while I was trying to make my career happen, Um, and so I could make a little more money by, by making commercial stuff, by, by doing web series, by using every, all the tools that I've been developing for corporate interests. I could, that, that could give me a little more comfort while I continue on this long game of trying to get a bit more of an entertainment career going. Um, so it was when I knew how to do that balance that I was, I, I felt comfortable jumping into doing commercial stuff. Cause I knew the, I knew it wasn't going to swell and overtake the art.
1: Yeah. So when did you, can you tell us a little bit about the first couple experiences at your new business? Like how was it trying to get a, a new client? Maybe you even your first client.
0: Yeah, so my business partner uh, happens to also be my father, Dave Nielsen, um, and he uh, he had been in marketing at, for a good amount of time of his career. He'd also been in sales. He had been a business owner uh, in the past, um, and he would he had gotten kind of disillusioned and, and disenchanted with the direction that ad agencies were going, um, where uh, he felt that it had kind of, in his experience, devolved to a lot of talking points and and and. Features and benefits. You're selling a product, just kind of going like, "Look at it! It it does this thing. It has this sort of widget to go with it." As opposed to putting it in the story of the consumer's lives and like, how how does this help a consumer solve a problem? How does this whatever? Um, uh, so he'd gotten a little disillusioned about that. Um, so we we knew that we were going to be a little bit of a different orientation. We weren't going to just make anything for anybody. Um, we were going to be trying to make quality video uh, storytelling for clients that really tried to speak to the specific audience they were going for. Um, uh, and and if, you, if you haven't been in that industry much or at all, it may not be clear how uncommon that is. But most video production companies, when they're talking to a client, the conversation will immediately start with where and when do you want us? Uh, 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 what are we shooting? Uh, how long very practical questions, very like, you know, list lists of questions. We always start with all of our clients on the question of, okay, who are we talking to with this? Why you want to make a video to begin with? Let's talk about some of the baseline motivations here because then we can actually articulate a story that will actually dictate what the production is. Because you shouldn't have answers like how many days of shooting yet unless we know what the story is. Um, it, that, 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 that's the tail wagging the whole dog. So like, it, it's a... It's a, it's a reverse of the whole process. And it's, it's still surprisingly uncommon. Um, and I think that's mainly because you have uh, uh, video production companies p- largely run by folks who got into it for the gear a lot. Like I love editing or I love working with you know, this software or I love shooting video or I love whatever and storytelling and, and everything else came second to that um that's that's been my experience at least with a lot of folks uh uh, that that run video production companies um we come at it from a different direction our our top priority is what story we're telling and all the gear and all the way we do it is is a secondary question um so so the first few experiences we had you know were just basically about that and we quickly became known through our first few experiences as being the word they would use to describe us as the authentic video guys. So, cause, cause what would end up happening is we would end up producing something through our process that felt very authentic to the clients we were working with. It felt very much them. Like you couldn't just swap out the logo and have it work equally well for some other company. It was too tailored for, for that particular company. Um, and so people to this day still think of us largely like that.
1: Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about the services you offer as a business and then, you touched on this a little bit, but like the perfect client service matched what a client should have ready before maybe coming into a meeting with
0: you. Oh, sure. Um, so our, our primary services are going to go one of two ways. It's going to either be video production. So a client will come to us uh, uh, in need of some sort of video. That's, that's the most common thing. Secondary service would be kind of on a consulting side where we help businesses understand their story because so many clients now want to tell their story better. It's kind of a, a buzzword phrase about, you know, know your business's story and tell your story better. And a lot of people, I think truthfully, well-meaning people, I'm not dissing anybody, but they don't really know even what they mean when they're asking that. They, they, they think of it as like, how do we get our message out there in a different way or a more fun way or a more relatable way or a more authentic way. Um, and they are saying the word story to mean that. Um, so, so people will, Will sometimes come to us with that, and we'll we can put them through a whole story finding process about what is the story that this company is living, and who's it for, and who are you speaking to, and what's their story, and how does that match up? All of which is based on uh, research largely done through the uh, the research arm of the Defense Department, DARPA, back about fifteen years ago, um, where they did the, they put the first real money into studying the effects of storytelling and narrative specifically on the brain, which up until about 15 years ago, really no one had done kind of surprisingly. It was all inference from artists and other storytellers who were like, hey, this works when I go on stage and do this. Um, But no one had ever like put together test groups and like change just this piece of the story. And how does that change the effectiveness uh, on the audience? Um, by taking blood draws and measuring oxytocin levels and stuff Um, so really interesting stuff Um, so we can send somebody through that and they come out with a better picture of what story they're living and what story they're telling or we can go into video production which starts from the same place where it's like okay what's the story you're trying to tell with this video and why you know why are we why are we doing video why is why as opposed to some other kind of medium um and uh, uh and if we do do through video we obviously have all the the same resources for production that everyone else has. Um, but that, that doesn't differentiate us, you know, just having cameras and just having good shooters is something everybody can say. Uh, but then you asked me the um, kind of like uh, uh, the, the follow-up to the two, the two services. Oh, what should people have um, when they're coming in? Um, You know, it's, uh, uh, it's an interesting question. It, you know, it really, it, it's about being open. It's about ha- having an open mind and an open curiosity about both yourself as the company and what you're trying to do. Um, you know, the more, the more set a client is on w- knowing exactly what they want to do, that's awesome for a production company that just wants to bring the camera and you tell them where to go. Um, but for someone like us, where we're kind of trying to, to work at foundational level with you and then build it up together and re- re- result in something that feels uniquely your company, um, coming in thinking you have it all figured out and that you know exactly what you're going to do can actually kind of slow the process down a little bit. Um, we, we'll still do it, but we just won't have as clear a picture of what we're doing or why we're making the creative choices we're making. So um, our favorite clients are clients that, have a have a need for video or something like that. They come to us and say they have that need, and then we just start talking about what's the audience, what are we hoping they do, what are we hoping they feel, what what's their problem, what are they facing, what could help them solve that problem. Okay, you know, so we've got their story and and we've got kind of your story because you're after a certain thing. Let's try and match the motives between your audience and 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 yourself and make sure they're the same thing. Like all that kind of stuff from the ground up, um, which doesn't take a long time. It's you know a ninety minute meeting. Uh, to, to kind of get through that stuff. Um, but then they're just in a much better place and, and, and they know why they're going after what they're going after. Um, whereas before they may have just been kind of doing what they reflexively saw other people doing.
1: Yeah. So something that I've personally seen is that advertising people are tending to get more programmatic with how they view it. And they're tending to, you know, what's my return on investment for, uh, you know, a certain ad set on Facebook versus how do I tell my story and build a brand that people are going to care about for five to 10 years? So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of storytelling and maybe give an example of a company, maybe a bigger company that everyone can relate to that's done that you think a great job of telling their story and building a long-term brand.
0: Totally. Um, the ROI question is, is always something that's going to be there and it'll always be hard to answer with the kind of work we do. Um, uh, it's hard to answer until you see it work. Um, and then you just kind of trust that it's, it's always going to bear fruit. It's just, it's just not something that you can easily measure. Um, so I'll give you an example, uh, uh, from our own work, quite frankly, it's a, it's a, it's a decent sized Wisconsin company, um, uh, is JP Cullen, the building contractor. So if you're ever seeing, uh, uh, construction around Madison in particular, or Janesville where they're based, there's often, it's often going to be a JP Cullen, um, construction crew and they've been around for a long time like all the construction companies have been Uh, and they had us do some uh, uh, testimonial videos uh, that were telling the stories of of particularly difficult projects that they had done. So one of the ones they had us do was about their renovation of Milwaukee City Hall years ago, and how you know there was a challenge with a piece of terracotta sculpture that fell off the building and and hit the sidewalk, and it was a big kind of to do because you know there was potentially legal ramifications and everything. And how how does J.P. Cullen navigate that situation with? The city with uh, the other contractors, like uh, what kind of team player are they? That was the story in that one. Um, but we did another story about how they were uh, renovating a a, a hospital uh, with operating rooms um, for surgery that couldn't shut down during construction. So they would be literally on the opposite, like there'd be an operating room where somebody's performing surgery and literally on the other side of the wall, there'd be construction happening. Right. Uh, how safe can that be? How, how dangerous could that be? How did they, you know, uh, uh, build in precautions against that? Um, we told that story in a compelling way and showed some nice animations like that really made that come home for people. Like, you know, just on the other side of the wall, you know, there's surgery and then there's construction happening. Um, and the, the ROI came back because they used that video when trying to sell their services to another medical facility, um, and the the medical facility ended up signing on with them, which results in millions of dollars. These are not small tickets. Uh, you know they, they don't have to win too many jobs to get a lot of money. Um, <laughs> millions of dollars comes in for that job, and the 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 new client specifically says the video was the tipping point. So. You'll hear things like that every once in a while, where there were that this this really strong piece of storytelling that really spoke to the, the particular obstacles of the audience, which in this case would have been their prospective clients that they were trying to get after this hospital story. Uh, they wanted to do more healthcare work, so they're you know they're thinking about trying. What what do they really want? Healthcare people, what do they really want to know? They want to know that they can keep operating and still be safe. Things like that. So let's tell stories like that if you're telling stories like that, as opposed to just making endless capability videos, we offer on-time delivery and we can do stone masonry and we can do project renovation and we can do like that would not have reached these people in the same way that telling that story did. Um, so it may not have shown up in literal engagement metrics, but it sure got them a lot of money. Um, and so that's kind of what storytelling is. It, it always will be, For people who really love data, storytelling will always feel a little bit soft and a little bit kind of like a a human thing as opposed to a a tech thing or as a a, a really quantifiable thing. Um, But we are talking to other humans and and humans are irrational. Humans don't usually make decisions based on data. They don't usually make decisions based on services. They make decisions based on their emotions and then they use all that stuff to justify it. So um, if we can get to their emotions first and then follow up with all the details and all the de- all the data that's a killer one two punch um so um so yeah so that's that's kind of been i, I i'm sure you're aware of gary vaynerchuk the uh yeah. media i always love how he talks about you know when people ask about the roi of something like that he he'll it's, it's a similar thing as saying what's the roi of a mother you know can you quantify yeah the return on investment to that child for their mother. Like, you know, it's hard to quantify, but who would ask that question? You know, it's, it's, it's the same sort of thing. There's, it's hard to quantify exactly. um, How, you know, how much money went out for that video versus how much came in as a result of it. But you can know that it's happening, especially when you hear anecdotes like that.
1: Yeah. So with the content that you produce, what do you, what have you seen that's been the most effective distribution for your clients? How have they distributed the content that's worked the best?
0: So right now, without question, it's still social media. Um, uh, And I don't know why that would ever change, especially given all that changes really is just what platform. Um, So, you know, we still do a lot of stuff that goes out uh, uh, people's Facebook pages or YouTube channels um, uh, and then stuff that they embed on their own websites. Um, You know, especially when you're talking about B2B companies uh, uh, that are not going to be quite as like oh, I saw this video on my Twitter feed, therefore I'm buying. It's a little bit different. Um, uh, you know, they're going to want to go to a website. So then let's have this big, nice video on the website that they can watch. Um, so uh, as far as success goes, really the, the the biggest stuff has come from embedding stuff on websites um, and then including video as part of a more high touch outreach, like with that JP Cullen example. You know, that that was never... I mean, they did use it on social media, but that, that case wasn't from social media. That case was they embedded the video into a pitch deck that they were using in person with these, these potential clients. Um, so normally we would say if you're in the room with people, uh, like in the pitch situation, like never cut to video because you're right there. And sure as heck, don't cut to video that has you in it because you're right there. Why would you want to show video of yourself? You're standing right here. Um, they can just talk to you. Um, but the, the, what a video can bring is a story about people and events that aren't right there in that room, which is why telling the story of someone else and some other client and their experience, bringing that into the room is really effective and much more effective in a pitch setting than just a, a a slide that talks about it. Um, so, so yeah, we we've, we've done less of the kind of viral stuff where we're trying to, you know, um, get really locked in with the culture and, and make something that people want to share a whole bunch that it's been less that and more about strategic video storytelling for B uh, 2 uh, B2B and some B2C more service oriented companies.
1: Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, B2B marketing? I know people can be really focused on that. How do you think storytelling
0: plays a role there? And why do you think that it's so effective? Um, storytelling is is effective in B2B for the same reason as B2C in the sense that you're still talking to human beings. They These human beings in, in B2B scenarios will still be thinking that they're more rational or that they have to be more rational because of the fact that they're not just impulse purchasing as much. It's not like you're seeing a, a, a mug you want on Instagram and immediately buying it like you might be if it was a consumer thing. Um, but it is still something where The story that a that a brand is telling about itself can immediately make them the one you want to work with so you know if you're if you're imagine if you're a, a a a business that is needing landscaping work done at your facility um and you immediately you're thinking to yourself well we have we have a you know a decent amount of money here and and we really want to present as a business you know, this, this, this really high tech, you know, uh, futuristic looking kind of face because that's the kind of service that we give and that's the vibe we want to give. The kind of landscaping company you're going to reach out to may very well, very likely uh, be influenced by the story they're telling. Do they look like a kind of landscaping company that is going to give you the kind of work you want to have? Or do they look like and feel like maybe the best? Do they, do they it's, and it's not going to be about the services they offer you're not going to probably make that decision based on the fact that they offer such and such, you know, rock removal or whatever. You may need that service, but that's not why you're going to choose them initially. You're going to choose somebody initially because word of mouth or the way they're telling their story in some other way makes them feel like the shiniest option for what you want. Uh, And then you're going to look for all the data to justify that call so that you can justify it to your boss or justify it to the decision to somebody else uh, or even yourself. So it's always going to start with an emotional connection. It's always going to start with, ah, that company's like me, or that company is like what I want to do. Um, and that all is branding. None of that is the services or the product that you're giving. So even in the B2B space, we've done video content and, and storytelling content for a variety of different building contractors, not just JP Cullen, and all of them are different. They are telling vastly different stories. Um, they're focusing on very different themes and values um and uh but if you didn't tell the stories they would sound very similar they would all sound like we're 100 years old and uh we got started in the you know 1900s and we've been building this kind of building since yada yada it 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 would it would sound the same if you're just talking about history or just talking about services or just talking about all that you gotta tell the story to differentiate to to make people understand how you do what you do not just what you do
1: yeah so could you maybe give some advice to like a small business owner, maybe like a one, two, three employee place that, you know, wants to tell their story, but might be a little hesitant to put themselves out there.
0: Sure. Um, If you're hesitant to put yourself out there, there's a lot of solutions to that. You don't have to be in it. (laughs) Number one, Um, uh, that's, that's an easy way to do it. Um, Usually I'll give you some, just some rules of thumb, just to start. If you're thinking about storytelling from a business perspective in general, Usually 95% of the time you're not telling a story about yourself. You're telling a story about your customers. They are the main character. They are after something that matters to them. Something is standing in their way and they have to take some sort of decisive action to solve it. Um, You're building out that story. You, the company are somewhere embedded into that, that dramatic decision, that decisive action that they take to solve the problem. Um, You know, it's, it's somebody uh, you know, is in the, is, has some sort of need, something's keeping them from it. And by engaging with your company, they got a resolution. It's, it's that kind of thing. So it's really not about centering yourself if you're, if you're concerned about it. You, don't, you can kind of relax because it's not, it's not about you really. Um, uh, you can make videos that are more about your own company directly, um, but you'd have to have a reason, I think, to want to do that because it's not as relatable to most people. Um, and it, it, you start to fall into a trap of making what you do sound easy, which is a really counterintuitive thing that happens, believe it or not. Um, so, it, but it's easy to think about it if you imagine being one. So if I'm, I'll use myself as an example, cause I started, I tried to do this years ago and I learned this the hard way. I tried to do a, a, a video story about us, about story first. Um, and this was the first time I tried to do it. And I, and I, as I was doing it, number one, I, everything felt equally important to me. So I couldn't narrow anything down because as the business owner, like everything is so important. How could I not include everything? That's, that's cancer obviously to what you're trying to do. But then uh, there's also this element of, I want to make myself sound impressive. I want to make the company sound impressive. I want to make it sound like we really got our stuff together. And so I make, I make it sound easy. I make it sound like I, I I don't break a sweat, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's it's yeah. it and you you almost you do it without even trying, um, you know. You, you don't you don't talk about how hard something is. You don't talk about how how challenging something is or how difficult it was to, you know, make you know the training it took to get to the place we are with storytelling or how many years it was before we you know were ready to do what we're doing now or anything like that. Because why? Like why would you do that? You you you're trying to sound like no sweat. We got this covered. But counterintuitively, what you really want in good brand storytelling is to make things sound, well, it's not about making things sound harder than they are, but talk about how hard something is, because then it has value. Like, you know, it, it's scarce or it's or it's hard to achieve, and we did achieve it, so come get it. It's it's a different kind of thing than ah, this is nothing, you know, because and that's kind of what people fall into when they tell stories about themselves, um, and so uh, unless you're really kind of trained in it and then you then you kind of know the game so you sort of do make it sound hard but that's a different thing I, more often than not tell stories about your customer tell stories about what they're facing and how you helped them accomplish it and that dovetails perfectly into business philosophy in general where we're always talking about solutions we offer solutions for our customers solutions to what problems talk about the problems and then talk about the solution um we we tend to leave out the problems oftentimes in in business communication um so that'd be my my top thing. I would also say that if you do it that way, um, you'll start to train yourself to to genuinely see problems as opportunities, not just in the casual, like kitschy way. Like you'll you'll actually think of challenging things and problems as, ah, this is a story that's happening right now because this problem does have a solution. We're going to solve it. What do we do that does solve it? That's something we can talk about. It, 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 you start to see that kind of like seeing the matrix suddenly everywhere, it, 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 it pops out to you. So,
1: yeah. Well, could you give some advice to maybe somebody who's in an employee position and they feel like their brand has a great story? But how, how do you, how would you suggest that they approach their uh, superior CEO, boss, and, you know, maybe to push them towards trying to tell out the brand story a little more?
0: Sure. So, um, so we're usually dealing with somebody in like a marketing department or a communications department at a company. Um, and more often than not, you're right. They, they tend to see the value more. Um, and it's all about then trying to convince the higher ups to, to actually do something like this. Um, you know, we, it, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing because at that point it's all still storytelling. So my mind first goes to, okay, well, what does that CEO think about? What, what do they care about? What's what 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 currently is their problem? What are they facing? What's stopping them from getting there? Uh, what can I do to try and solve that with our services? And ha- and then I can tell that story to this marketing person, who can then carry it up to whoever they're trying to convince. Um, because everybody is is living some sort of narrative like that. Um, you, it's it's hard to give ROIs, like I said earlier. So you can't really bring that forward. Um, you know, you're, you're, you I, I, you know, truthfully the, the, the batting average will just be higher at smaller companies for the most part, because the, the CEO usually, you know, makes the decision themselves too, is that they, they get attracted to the idea and they want to do it. Um, But, you know, it, it's a, uh, uh, there, there's a whole bunch, if, if people want, you know, kind of factoids about you know, how popular video is or how, how it's still the number one form of media being consumed online and all of this kind of stuff. That's all out there. Um, the storytelling thing is a little bit more amorphous. Um, but again, once you start seeing the connection and, and you start, you know, seeing the research that DARPA did, which is a little bit more specific and is a little bit more science-based, um, it becomes kind of undeniable that that's, you're, it's not a question about whether you tell a story or don't you are storytelling all the time, no matter what. Um, it's just a question about, are you doing it well? And are you doing it to a particular audience? And have you matched the motives well enough, um, to where they're actually going to feel like the action they need to take to solve their problem is engage with you. Um, cause that's what you, that's the thought you want to make them have at the end. Um, and that is the result of the equation of kind of brand storytelling. Um, so if you're, if you're not thinking about it, you're still storytelling. It's just perhaps kind of poor storytelling and you're not really controlling what goes out there.
1: Yeah. So what is your uh, personal favorite story and how have you incorporated a network to tell stories to about different businesses better?
0: Well, I'll take the second part first. The, um, the network uh, is, is all contractor based. So um, like independent film production, um, every new movie that, that gets made, is a little company that gets founded at the the start of that movie. And then it ends at the end of that movie. Um, And then everyone goes off to do other projects and those all become little companies for the time they do it. So for every client job that we do here um, at story first, we have an array of, of, of talented individuals that we call on depending on the job. So um, that's also something that we wanted to do specifically differently than ad agencies because, ad agencies that do video production are locked in with the video team that they've hired in-house. And so you, if you, if you want to do a, if if Pepsi wants to do a video and then, you know, some other company wants to do a video in there as well, they're getting the same team. They're getting the same shooters, the same editors, the same everything. And that's not always good for getting hyper-specific content that is for you and for you alone. So we, we pull on, the right tool for the right job so to speak um uh and that that comes from my experience with film production in the independent world um this is how it's always been done there you're telling a different story get a different person um so so that's that and that's been built up over many years when i lived out in los angeles i still have people in la that we work with uh from context out there i lived in austin texas for a number of years i have people from down there i call on and then obviously a bunch in the midwest that we have um that, that we call on as well, but it's a, it's a, a number of different folks. Um, and they're all great to work with. Um, as far as my favorite story, I don't have, I, I don't have one favorite story, but what I can say is um, my favorite, uh, uh, my favorite thing about stories, I think is maybe another way I would put this um, is that I really, I really do find it kind of beautiful how 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 similar they all are Um, some people get discouraged by that Um, but if you if you're interested like i am in where stories come from and why we even do it in the first place why we are the storytelling animal so to speak um you know you start to realize that storytelling is potentially and i mean this both poetically and somewhat literally it's potentially the thing that makes us human as opposed to other creatures um because no other creature that we can tell, tells itself stories or tells each other stories. Um, there's an innately human thing we do um, where we've developed over many, 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 thousands of years um, that we, we organize our thoughts and, our, and our, our beliefs about the world into narrative where there's somebody who is in pursuit of something, they encounter some reason, they can't get that thing. What do they do to get around that thing or do they get around that thing at all? and then they get it and then what do they do with it and then there's another problem like that structure that equation is almost like the double helix in dna it's like it just it's everywhere you look um and it's uh you can find it in everything from you know ancient religious texts to to uh uh dostoevsky to russian novels to 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 you know family guy to South Park to, I mean, everything, every, all the, the way that the news is reported, the way that everything is done, marketing uh, uh, any sort of communication from one human being to another, it's all going to fall into that pattern um, in a natural way. It's, it's almost unnatural to not do it. Um, And it's, it's, uh, it's so ubiquitous and it's, and it's beautiful. It, it, it feels, you feel it hit you, especially when you read something like, like old folk tales or you read like a uh, groom's fairy tales or something like that. And you see just over the course of like a page or three pages, like every storytelling pattern that you've ever seen, you know, in the Bible in three pages, like it's, it's just, there's, it's like, it's like kaleidoscopes. It's just, it just looks really, it's really pleasing when you can see it, when you've spent enough time with it and, and you've read enough about it. And if people are interested in this sort of stuff, the natural place to start is Joseph Campbell. Um, with uh, the the power of myth, uh, which was a series of interviews that were done with him and Bill Moyers back in the '80s, and it's it's if you're into this sort of stuff, that stuff is gold.
1: Yeah. So going back a little bit more to the business side of things. You yeah. Know, 2020 COVID hit, and many people shifted online. And as I'm sure you know, there's a huge portion of people going to gig work. How mm-hmm. do you find? Um, the best people or the people you're looking for in gig work and how do you make sure that they're, you know, going to do a good job for you?
0: It all starts with the work they've done. And this is another reason why in this industry in particular, nobody asks about your education Um, because it's whether you went to Yale or nowhere at all. uh, Can you make a good video? Have you, have you, have you done anything that actually works? That makes me laugh that, that sells the product well, that lights that scene well. Uh, whatever you're talking to, if I'm talking to a cinematographer, I want to see some sort of reel uh, uh, that shows me kind of stuff they've shot in the past. Um, uh, if I'm looking to an editor, I want to see the kind of stuff they've edited in the past. And if that stuff's high quality, then I want to talk to them. Um, and then when I talk to them, whether it's virtual like this or if it's in person, I'm wanting to see how collaborative they are. I'm wanting to see, you know, or do they seem like a good person to work with? Um, do they seem like they would be good with a client, uh, which obviously in the, in the business world is a huge thing. And some people aren't, so this, I'm, this is an art world, you know, and, and artists are, can, are a little funky. I include myself among that. Um, you know, we're not Thai people. We're not buttoned up, you know, it's not really our, our, our vibe. So as long as I can see somebody who knows how to be around clients, they don't, they don't necessarily need to deal with the client directly because I'm there for that. Um, uh, and Dave is there for that. My dad, um, uh, from his side of the business, uh, and he's primarily in business development and I'm primarily handling all the, the production. Um, uh, uh, but the, the, the client, you know, if you've got all that and you do good work, we'll, we'll give it a, a whirl. Let's, let's do something. Um, you don't need a whole lot more than that. Just show that you can do the work.
1: So what's been the consistent biggest challenge at story first media, maybe more on the production side, cause that's where you spend most of your time.
0: Sure. Well, I can say it's still, it, you, you heard it, I think in an earlier answer of mine when talking about selling it up to the CEO, right? The hardest thing still is when, when we get into a, a, a kind of cycle of, of having to prove it, we try to avoid, not, we try to avoid getting to situations where we feel like we have to prove this to people. We'd rather be working with people who already are convinced and just need somebody to do it, uh, which is most of our work. Most, it's, it's not, that's not a rare thing. Um, most people that come to us at one degree or another are already convinced that storytelling is the way they need to go. And we don't have to do a whole lot of convincing. And that's good because it's kind of hard to convince. It's not, if somebody's not oriented to want to do it, there's not a whole lot we can do really in terms of like, well, here's the data that says you should do it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that, that's the hardest thing probably. Um, from a purely business, like a real purely business standpoint. Um, you know, it's interesting. The uh, The hardest stage of, of production in general um, for video is always going to be the upfront stuff. So it's about scheduling. It's about getting the team together. It's about uh, uh, making sure that the client has what they need, making sure that we have uh, all the people that are going to be in the video lined up and ready to go on certain days, all those procedural things are, are, are both the most boring, but also the hardest stage. And then once you get to the actual shoot date gets progressively easier because um, you're actually doing things then, but that whole upfront stage can be very challenging. And it's made even more challenging by the fact that a lot of people are not good at communicating. Uh, yeah. uh, and we talk about this a lot where it's, it's, it's not that they're bad people or that they're doing anything wrong necessarily. It's just people are really, a lot of people are really, really not good at uh, uh, communicating via email or via text or anything like that. They, they don't answer questions you ask or they uh, uh, don't get back to you in a timely manner or anything like that. Um, and when that happens, all the part that's already the hardest part becomes progressively harder um, because so much of this is about coordination. And if you can't coordinate, it's going to directly affect what you can actually do on the day. Um, but when you have the clients that are good at communicating, oh it's it's sweet it's it's like a well-oiled machine and you're you you know they, they do get it. they get the benefit in their uh, in the end of the, the product when they see it like that that it's made better because they were good at communicating.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, I just my last question for you. what has been the most rewarding or your most favorite thing about working at Story first media?
0: Most rewarding thing uh the most rewarding thing i think has been the freedom uh to take the business in the direction that we want to take it um you know as even even when i was you know when i was a manager at, in 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 theaters on the exhibition side i was in charge of the theater on the days i was there but there was always the owner of the theater or corporate or whatever else um you know, being in charge of the business and being able to push it in the direction we want it to go. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's never, there's a reason why, you you know, that that's the reason you put up with all the hard stuff, right? I mean, that's it every, not everyone wants to put in the hours and hours and hours and hours and has the motivation to keep up with, uh, uh, all that time and effort. Um, to, to run their own thing um, and it's understandable because it's not a small insignificant amount of stuff um, but if you if you feel the reward from it um, it's 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 uh, there's nothing there's nothing quite like it I kind of can't imagine going back to a situation where I was working for someone else at this point in terms of where you know answering to a boss so to speak um, it's a uh, uh, I know people uh, who are the opposite of me who just are, you know, they just want to go into the office and, you know, have their work day and come home at five and, and be good with that. Um, and that's, that's cool. I mean, like again, to each his own, like that makes total sense to me. It's just not something that I would feel great about. Um, so, um, so yeah, when it's the most reward, the most rewarding thing is, is just that freedom um, and the fact that I am able to use the resources we've built up over commercials and working with clients to enable a film career and that we've actually made two feature-length documentaries now and that we're working in pre-production on the third now like that's that those would not have happened if not for this business um and they don't bring in any money so it's uh, it's entirely a a a thing on top of uh, uh running the business so that's really um it's ext- it's an extremely fortunate Situation I'm in um, that uh, I don't take for granted at all.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that we've constantly heard throughout our episodes. It's you know they people take a lot of risk to start their own business, but the the creative control that they have and the way they want to take their business is uh, just up to them. And I, I yeah, I think that's great. I wanted yeah. to thank I want to thank you for coming on today. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that I'm I'm. uh, uh, happy to have been a part of it.
1: Awesome.